Welcome to the Alkaline Unplugged podcast. I'm Erin Parazuski, a functional fitness expert and holistic health coach. I am the founder and CEO of Alkaline, a health and wellness company that operates boutique fitness franchises across the U.S. I live in Menlo Park, California with my husband and two young daughters. I am joined by my podcast partner, Kathy Purnell, a master instructor at Alkaline and a former special education teacher. She has three grown daughters and lives in Los Altos with her husband, Jeff. Together, we bring you Alkaline Unplugged, a collection of conversations on a whole host of topics, from experts in the health and wellness field to the real, raw, and human stories of people like you and me. We look forward to bringing you content that will nourish your mind, body, and soul. We thank you for tuning in and look forward to your comments and feedback. If you like what you hear, we'd appreciate a review on iTunes or wherever you're listening. As a disclaimer, neither Kathy nor I are licensed medical professionals. The materials and content in this podcast are intended to be general information and are not to be considered a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. We are joined today by a woman who has inspired millions to tend to their mobility and overall well-being. Jill Miller is the co-founder of TuneUp Fitness Worldwide, creator of the exercise format Yoga TuneUp, and the Role Model Method. She is a pioneer in connecting the links between fitness, yoga, massage, and pain management. She is the creator of therapy balls that are used for myofascial release and that we use at Alkaline in our recharge classes. We are thrilled to have Jill join us today. All right, Jill. Welcome. Woo! (laughs) Alkaline Unplugged, we had to get over a few technology hurdles, but we made it here. And Um, I feel a little like we're having our Oprah moment right now, Erin, I have to say. We are so excited to be talking to you, Jill, but I have to tell you one funny thing. I was, my younger daughter, she's in kindergarten. She's like one of those people who wants to know the plan. So mommy, tell me the plan. What are we doing today? What do I have for hot lunch? You know, she knows like she has PE or art or whatever. And yesterday she said, mommy, what's the plan for tomorrow? I said, well, I have a really big day. I get to talk to Jill Miller. L. She is the one that invented the balls that we use all the time. I go, isn't that cool? She goes, yeah, that is cool. And then she whispered, she goes, but not as cool as Taylor Swift. <laughs> <laughs> so good to know you're just behind just Taylor, below Swift. Taylor Swift. You know, yeah. my, my daughter, uh, she knows she has a secret that nobody else in her kindergarten class knows, which is the word fascia. And <laughs> it's like, I tell her, I say, Lila, you know things other people don't know because this is what mommy teaches you know about fascia. I think she thinks it's cool, but it's not because other people don't know about it. So it's more, it's like, that's cool. I'm glad I'm here. And I'm glad your daughter was impressed. And I'm happy to be below Taylor Swift. I mean, please let me put my (laughs) balls underneath Taylor Swift. That would be amazing. How many people do you get your balls under, Jill? I mean, did you anticipate when you went on this trajectory with your life that there would be so many ball jokes? One of my original teachers, Maura Barclay, she has this little phrase, it's never not funny. It's never not funny. Balls, it's never not funny. You know, we actually have really had to rein it, uh, not rein it in. I mean, I always teach in a GPG style. And if people interpret it in PG-13, R, triple X, it's really on them because I'm, I'm usually coming from a really corny pun place but I tried not to go into the scatological. I could. Oh, my God. I love scatological humor and uh, blue humor. I know you guys, I'm sure, love blue humor because your branding is all about that color. But um, 
I really want people to not feel threatened by inappropriate jokes. I mean, sure, there's bad jokes. I am aware that balls can be very misunderstood. Yes. (laughs) So I'll call them rubber spheres. I'll even, I'll call them not balls so that in a phrase, uh, it will sound more scientific and less um, titillating. Yes. That's one of my favorite words, by the way. (laughs) I like titillating and tantalizing are on the list of <laughs> on the favorite top words. Yeah, That's and if, if used together in a sentence, even better. I like prurient. To me, that's my favorite, like pervy word that nobody Do knows. That? Do you use that a lot? No, I don't. Just on this podcast. <laughs> we should try to use it as many times as possible. Well, I, I think I'd first need you to define it. I'm sitting here racking my brain. Say it again. Prurient. Brilliant. Yes, it's it is something that is or a suggestive of something that's titillating. Oh. Yes. It's a sexy word. So it sounds right. We'll try and weave that in as much as we can. Okay. Jill, we do I know we're not gonna talk about balls the whole time, but we do love yours. I'm a super fan, so I feel like I know a lot about you, but for yeah. our listeners who don't, can you tell us a little bit about your background and how this all came to be? I came from a very disembodied place in my own developmental history. I was really, that was the chubby kid. I was the the four-eyed kid. You know, I was that kid. I was the bookish kid. And my, my sibling was the athlete and everybody knew that I was the one that read and played with dolls. And my sister was this complete competitive athlete. And so I just accepted that role. I was really into drama. I was very dramatic. I liked acting. So I was this little, you know, chubby four-eyed girl that just, you know, loved the arts and, um, but also really loved science. And I did come to a crisis when I became a tween, which is I had absorbed a lot of messages from my family during those first 11 or 12 years that I was fat. I mean, that was a word that was used frequently, that I was fat. I decided to do something about it and I just decided to stop eating. And so I became anorexic at around age 11 or 12. And I went down, I went from 95 pounds to 65 pounds on a four foot 11 frame, a four foot 10 frame. I was pretty short, but that's still quite a massive weight loss. At the same time, my mother had brought home the Jane Fonda workout and the Raquel Walsh yoga video. And um, we lived off the grid in Santa Fe, New Mexico. We lived in a solar community at the time. And so we didn't get TV reception. We had a, a solar dish, but often we didn't get, you know, the, the satellites weren't working. And so we would watch videos. And so when she brought these videos home and she decided she wanted to start exercising, I joined her. And this was just such a blessing because, I mean, first of all, it was like an activity we could do together. and it was so foreign to me. I grew completely obsessed with these videos, the Jane Fonda workout as, you know, those of you who are of a certain age, you probably remember this was such a significant moment in cultural history in, um, in the eighties and, you know, Gen X women and men fell in love with this as well as the, the boomers. And then the Raquel Walsh yoga video was actually the Bikram series. So Raquel was a, a student of Bikram and ripped him off. Uh, oh, he I didn't see her. Yeah. (laughs) So that was actually (laughs) my first exposure to yoga was that video. I grew to just love these videos. I would do them back to back. I would come home from school every day. And that really was the beginning of my, both my eating disorder and a disordered 
uh, approach to exercise because I was compulsive about it. Of course, I, you know, I dropped all this weight by not eating and by doing these videos. And um, probably got affirmed for that. Well, I didn't get called fat anymore, but I don't think I necessarily got affirmed like you're a, you're a beautiful, you're this, mm. you know, you're beautiful externally. Like I wasn't getting a lot of, I was getting praise for my academics. And as the smart girl who is being pushed towards achievement, and I was very pushed. I mean, I got grounded if I got a B. My mother sounds terrible in this story, doesn't she? She's an amazing woman, but there were reasons why she wanted me to get straight A's. She wanted me to be able to get scholarships and go to great schools and have opportunities. Um, But yeah, I really internalized all that. And I was very, obviously very hard on myself. The massage came in during college. So I ended up getting into a great school. Thanks, mom. I got into Northwestern, but I was very unhappy. I was still in the midst of eating disordered, body dysmorphia, even though I was involved in the uh, movement arts and the dance arts. Uh, I did work study at a local shiatsu school near my college, like a full class load and a part-time job weren't enough. I also went to do work study for the shiatsu school because I had an experience there at their open house where I'd never felt anything like it in my life. I mean, it when I, I, I volunteered to be the demo you know, at this open house and the teacher put his hands on my abdomen. And it was just one of those moments of the world stopped. I felt wholeness. I felt peace. I felt satisfied. I felt expanded. It was incredible. And so I knew that I needed to study massage. I needed to learn more about what that experience was, you know, and then like fast forward many, many years, my business really revolves around teaching people embodiment practices that are a combination of yoga, corrective exercise, self-massage, mindset, and breath work that helps people to find and heal their body blind spots. I have a question about that yoga teacher. Was that the yoga teacher that did the little thing with the rice under your belly? This was not a yoga teacher. This was a a massage teacher, shiatsu. Oh, shiatsu. Yeah. Shiatsu is a form of uh, Japanese meridian therapy, just like, you know, the Chinese medical model is very, very popular, but Japanese, the Japanese also have a, a meridian medical model as well. So this was the Japanese medical model for touch therapy. But yes, at the same time, so I was anorexic when I was in my tweens, but then by the time I got to college, I became bulimic. And so I had a very disconnected sense of my abdomen and my core. I never got sore in my abs. Like my, my roommate who was, who was pre-med, which she would go to Pilates with me and she'd be sore and I wouldn't be sore. Yeah. I just, I didn't have any connection to my abs. I was just all in my limbs. I was bypassing it. And I told a, a yoga teacher, I don't know how I ended up in this yoga studio. Cause I was, I was pursuing, I was pursuing, I was pursuing yoga at the time I had found yoga I'd found yoga classes and yoga teachers by the time I was in college. And I must have gone to infrequently to a studio in Evanston where I was going to college. It was my younger studio. And I mentioned to the teacher, and I cannot remember who this person's name was, that I had bulimia and that I couldn't feel my abs. And I think that there was a connection. Like I told, I remember saying, like, I think there's a connection that I'm bulimic and I can't feel my abs. And so she had me lay down face down on a it looked like a honey bun or a hamburger bun filled with sand. And this is an Iyengar yoga prop that actually was used for headstand and I guess a few other things. But she had me lay down face down on my admin on this beanbag and breathe into it. And that really was the genesis of me being able to, want, number one, feel 
the visceral anguish that I'd been creating by the retching, and then two, to actually have emotions and to really put it all together, that it was not okay to run from my anguish and my fear or to cover it up with, with food or with running or dance or swimming or exercise or yoga, but I needed to really work my way through the feelings in my body in order to have my body integrate itself to be whole, to become whole. An amazing example of the mind-body connection, right? Of a somatic mm-hmm. experience having a profound effect on, on your mind and your spirit and all of that. We talk about mind-body connection all the time. And I think that one of the best things about our recharge class or any myofascial work is that it does allow people to connect deeply to themselves in a world where, and I think I'm going to say something that's probably not a hundred percent gender factual, but I feel like women often disconnect from our bodies where either because of shame or because of you know, giving birth and feeling like you lose the ability to connect to the muscles of your abdominals or whatever. I just, I think that's fascinating how you had that deeply profound experience. Well, when you talked about that, I had the story all wrong as it turns out, but (laughs) it was impactful enough that when I took your first workshop, I don't know, probably five or six years ago, I really connected to that story. So I got what I needed from it, even though I had the, <laughs> some of the details. It was were. rice in my mind, not sand, that it was whatever. <laughs> but um, I also, I too have a lot of gut related issues, actually similar. I, d- I did live on the grid, but other than that, I, I grew up in a very quantitative environment as well, where grades and scores and marathon times and those types of things were what our conversations revolved around. There was never like the, oh, are you enjoying running? Are you enjoying the classes you're taking? You know, it was all about the quantitative, the metrics. And I had a lot of stress growing up and a lot of, I wouldn't say I ever had an eating disorder, but definitely disordered eating. And um, I started running in seventh grade, one, because I got cut from the field hockey team. And two, because my sister, who also went to Northwestern, by the way, yay, Wildcats, she was five years older and she told me, well, you know, you should start running. She was a runner too. She's like, I've never seen a fat runner. So I started running. And anyway, I had a whole host of issues with that physical and otherwise. And the gut stuff, I've had gut issues my entire life. And I remember blowing up that gorgeous Mm. ball Mm -hmm. and it being like, like a knife to the gut, you know, the first time I rolled and you sharing that story. And I was like, Oh, there's, there's something to this. There's a, there's a connection. And for the most part now I'm, I'm still aware of that when we teach gut rolling, because I put myself back in that place, knowing that people in that room are having similar, everyone has their stuff. And we talk about that. And it's funny because now I can roll. It's like the first time I tried to roll my IT band after all the marathon running. And I literally, a tear trickled down my face. I was like, I can run a marathon, but I cannot, I am not holistically healthy or fit, right? With the gut rolling, it's very interesting because these, both of those things are kind of a breeze for me now. But recently I had a gut thing, you know, whether it's stress or in some way, my body is stressed this um, gluten thing that I have ongoing, I was having a 
a flare up. And I, I was like, oh, I'm going to roll my gut. And it was right back to that first day mm-hmm. that I tried to do it. I was like, oh my gosh, this is something when I'm in a good, it's almost a litmus test of like what's happening physically and emotionally for me. Yeah. It's a way, especially with the cortisol ball, you know, what's nice is that you can deflate it to a tolerable pressure and that you can really attenuate the pressure to, to be able to scale, uh, well, well, the pressure input into the body and really build a, uh, a welcome kit in your gut for, um, for touch. I think there are many other cultures that are much more conditioned to having abdominal massage from the get-go. I mean, we do abdominal massage on our, on our infants. That's just something that you're you know, your pediatrician will probably tell you to do if your kid is having trouble, um, if they're colicky or, you know, having trouble with their bowels. But at a certain point, we just kind of stop massaging our, our guts. And the tradition of- go to and get a Thai massage. My husband right. and I were in Thailand a few years ago, and I remember being really surprised when she flipped me over and started massaging my belly. I was like, Like what? it's nothing. Like it's nothing. Oh, no. I mean, there are legacy uh, laws in many cities in the U.S. that it's illegal to massage the abdomen because um, massaging the abdomen is affiliated with prostitution. So this really is a puritanical off-limits area that's embedded in our society the fact that we can do this hands-off massage on ourselves with a tool and get you know profound results in relieving back pain, improving breathing, mobilizing scar tissue, you know the number of laparoscopic and incisional surgeries on people's midsections in in the U.S. are astonishing. I mean, people are walking around with all sorts of challenges in their midsection, and much of this I think can could be handled. You know, um, acid reflux constipation, you know, these things are, are also are all related to uh, visceral mobility. So why, why can't we touch our own guts? Why do we have to put Maalox in our body or, you know, other uh, chemical inputs? What about the mechanical inputs? And there was recently a conference in Austin. There was a little blurb that just came out. Uh, Eileen Langevin, who works for the National Institutes of Health, she is a fascia researcher and um, affiliated with Harvard. She did some adjunct uh, lecture about mechanical inputs onto the diaphragm fascia and the esophageal sphincter and how important it is for clinicians to consider mechanical inputs into the gut and viscera for whole body health and for digestive issues explicitly. So I was like, that is like, it's huge at, at their national convention for this person to come in with, from, with her alternative perspective. But again, they've been doing this in China. They've been doing this in Japan. They've been doing this in Thailand. They never stopped doing it. We just are just cut off from it because I don't know, the pilgrims or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> Who are, they kind of are. Cl- closed, closed um, <laughs> yeah. culture. That, that is true. <laughs> I, I actually come from the <laughs> descendant of the pilgrims or something. So I can speak for my firsthand account, but yeah, I'm not like I'm, I'm from like, you know, refugees and, you know, Holocaust trauma. So it's like, I need anything I can do to get to chill out. So, you know, I come from nervous people as they say. And so I'll, I'll do anything that I can to turn on my parasympathetic nervous system and get out of this fight or flight. That's such a great lead into one thing I wanted to talk about is just the benefits of, you know, yes, when we roll, we are 
restoring our mobility and our flexibility and all of those wonderful things, but it's also so incredibly down-regulating, which is amazing. It has been, when we first started doing recharge, it was kind of a slow sell because, you know, what does society tell you? Society tells you that if you go to a workout facility, you need to break a sweat, you need to work your muscles hard. There's relatively, in other studios other than our own, not a discussion about, okay, well, that's great. You can, you know, lift heavy weights and you can lunge for days, but how else are you feeling? And also let's not forget that we also need to learn to slow the F down, yes. you know, that, and that's not, yeah, it's, it's valued. It's very hard for, I think us all, uh, as a, as a society. I, I do think so. And that's why I think our program is, is so successful because we give people a power nap, you know, we give them a tactile experience of using their own body, using position, using breath, using tools to press reset on their own regeneration. And once you taste that, and then once you feel yourself floating, floating, like your bones floating in your flesh, and then at will creating that, the tension that's needed to lift or the tension that's needed to move, but then you can return to a place of that feeling of lightness, of groundedness in the lightness. I don't mean that you're floating away. Um, this is very, it's a very novel experience for people, but I think they can expand their resiliency for sure, both in their mechanical and, you know, movement production, but also in their sleep, their experience of orgasm, their, again, their visceral mobility. So digestion, you know, ultimately their well-being. So being able to um, see the, the way your mind reacts to situations and how you can maybe slow things down so that you aren't getting caught up in, in the drama as quickly. So there, there are just, there's so many different levels that this works at. And yeah. I will say that it's, our numbers have expanded, you know, like I said, it was a little bit of a slow sell. Yeah. And now your class yesterday was packed. Well, Jill knows how many balls we sell. We're just, oh my God. we're like your disciples. Yeah. We're like here, take the balls. You must have all sets. It's like happy meal, but way better for you. You're r- rubber drug dealers. My yeah. friend is celebrating a birthday coming up and we always do like a, this lovely dinner in San Francisco and it's great. And I was thinking, what do I get the girl that has everything? And she's a personal trainer who in my humble and a and very biased opinion, <laughs> does not take time for herself at all. So for yeah. her birthday, I'm give, gifting her some balls and the CBD cream and a CBD bath bomb. I hope she doesn't get the message that I'm trying to say. She'll the, but I, but I love like the thing I love about this is that it is, it puts the power back in the individual's hands because for so long, especially this is my, my beef with like the fitness industry, which is the industry I am in, but I have so, I feel like it's so flawed, right? It's been sending us all these unhealthy messages there's billion there are billions and billions of dollars behind all these messages of it has to hurt to work and no pain no gain and our whole theme this year that we're trying to i mean we've kind of been doing this all along but is busting fitness myths Mm. of just trying to put those things out there and do you know that to be true in fact that isn't and i think that we so heavily i say we as just a people right are dependent on someone else. I have a problem. I'm unhappy or I'm 
I have trauma or I am overweight or what, you know, whatever that belief system or, you know, inner critics telling you, and I'm going to go somewhere else to fix the problem, whether that's a diet or a workout or a masseuse or what, you know what I mean? I'm going to, I'm going to outsource this. And it's the one thing you can't outsource is yourself. I'm writing a book, Jill, someday it will be done. And one of the sections is called get a PhD in you because they feel oh, like cool. so much time, you know, whether, whatever it is, your, your career, your craft, we invest so much time and money and education, but yeah. nobody takes the time to really get to know themselves. And I feel like I won't even say like an hour on a mat. I mean, 10 minutes, five minutes on a mat, you can learn so much about your, or against the wall or wherever, like you can learn so much about yourself and you don't need there is no gimmick, right? It's like 20 bucks is the return on investment on a set of balls and five minutes a day of your time. It doesn't have to be this huge thing. I actually joke sometimes. I'm like, if we charged 10 times the price for the balls, and oh, the right. balls people would probably like be lining up out the door. It's almost I so get cool. it. Yeah. I want everybody to have access. And you know, we actually, we do a lot of charity work. we do a lot of donations. We have some people working in prisons, refugee camps, uh, aftermath situations, because we know how quickly this works and that there is no chemical footprint. Whereas if people start to rely on you know, um, Xanax or rely on Advil or rely on uh, whatever other kind of, of meds that might help in these sort of temporary windows. I mean, and the therapy balls also are a temporary window. The thing is, is the repeated dosing of it, I think it empowers you to know that you can do something for yourself that ultimately empowers your resilience for the long term and for the long haul. My son just had his tonsils out. Thank God for Advil and Tylenol. I will not say thank God for fentanyl because he actually, they gave that to him right after surgery and he decelerated after they gave him opiates and his oxygen dropped down to like 30 something. I was like, good, no opiates for my son. Okay, good. Noted. That was pretty terrifying. You know, our, our pain epidemic, our sort of suffering epidemic is it's very, very real. And uh, we just have to do better. We have to figure out other ways. And I mean, I don't, society is not going anywhere. We're just going to get more frantic and more frenetic. So we have to find ways to buffer that are not going to kill us. Do you I know what I mean? Um, current um, personal story with how the rolling has impacted me. I broke my ankle on a run, incidentally, in December. Like you rolled it or just yeah. was it a stress fracture or you rolled no, it? It was like, like a real. It was a non displaced fracture of the um, distal fibula. Oh. Um, Anyway, the best kind of fracture you can have, oddly mm-hmm. enough. But anyway, it was you lucky know, girl. Oh, I'm, I feel so blessed. <laughs> um, anyway, so I was in the boot for six weeks, and it's amazing how quickly my calf atrophied. Oh yeah, my mobility, my ankle, the fascia. I, I sometimes refer to fascia as being like the cavalry. It comes in, you know, when there's trauma and like circles the wagons, like everything <laughs> seized up, right? Yes. Uh, so I get out of the boot. I'll be in very slowly. It's a very, it's very slow to get there. It's like the fiber bus are like going, okay, I'm coming. I'm coming. Yeah. I'm coming. Yeah. <laughs> They're slow moving, but they yeah. get there. They do get there. And I will tell you that the, the healing has been slower than I would like for sure. Anyway, so get the boot off and I, you know, start 
relearning to walk essentially because my feet weren't operating the same way. My ankle wasn't working the same way. I was limping, not bending my knee. I finally had a client say, you know, you can bend your knee. And I was like, oh yeah, good idea. Wow. Uh, You know, sure. I could live on Advil and numb the pain, but I'm like, you know, or worse. Right. And I thought, okay, what would Jill do? do? So I started to roll my feet, my shins, my calves and out, you know, to the outside of my ankle. And I'm here to tell you that what a difference it made. I also incidentally had gone to see this body worker who practices Eastern Western hands-on, you know, he, you know, will tell you what meridians are blocked and uses magnets and all, you know, stuff. And he, right away I said I think it's the fascia in my ankle that is really kind of bound up he's like oh oh yeah right here and he started to massage it he's like that's exactly what that is yeah. and so it affirmed for me that okay keep doing the rolling yep. and, you know it's made a big difference I rolled in Aaron's class yesterday and then went for a two-mile walk and you know I can still feel it but it's definitely getting better yeah. so yay now I can use that experience and I guess that was going to be my other point is I feel like as instructors we can use our own experience. And also I've heard other clients in a recharge class say, Oh my gosh, you know, when I was telling you about my shoulder and how it was bothering me after rolling, it made such a huge difference. I'm like, could you say that again a little louder? Like just to get people to understand the benefit and to get them to, you know, be empowered. I mean, our, our mission is to educate, empower, inspire people to Mm -hmm. feel better. And that means different things for different people. And that, you know, we have a holistic nutrition program, but it all ultimately comes together when you when you have all these components, you know, you, you really do have the power to feel better if you want, like I, I talking to you, Jill, and like, I think, oh my gosh, I can't believe you were in college having this like epiphany about your own health and body. And then like the trajectory that sent you on, I mean, thank goodness it did. But so how many people are just never really have that? Yeah. Wake up stuck. Call. Yeah. yeah. And are stuck and they are feeling terrible. I think people ultimately come to Alkaline because they want a quote unquote workout. Yep. <laughs> like we'll give you a, you know, they do get that. We're, we're functional fitness. We teach yep. people how to move their body and align their body and to pay attention and to modify and change things as needed. But we're also trying to teach people how to be, to focus on either prevention or restoration and, and the mindfulness of the rolling practice really. You, you you guys are my fantasy studio. I mean, <laughs> well, it really is. the therapy ball rolling is, is really only one element of what we do, but it's the part of our programming that is so democratized. Like there are so many different um, tribes within the wellness sphere that can use it. So we have the professional athletes, collegiate athletes, high school athletes. We have that segment that use it for pre-recovery or recovery. Then we have, you know, the yoga community that loves it for the embodiment and the feels and the relaxation response. And then the Pilates people that love it also for mapping and improving force production and coordination. And then there's the clinical space that use it for homework for their clients. They need them to have this input on a regular basis to be able to improve their mobility. They had an ankle fracture, they had a, you know, a meniscus surgery back surgery or what have you. So we have so many different components that use the work and also that use uh, the way the way we present the material because we try to make this very 
fascia friendly and also fascia family so that, you know, moms and mom-in-laws and, you know, those mom-in-laws as well as, you know, the, the nephew are like, wanna, he wants to improve his tennis game and the mom-in-law is just like, I've got arthritis in my hands and my knee hurts. So, you know, the people are using them for different reasons. And luckily, we've got a lot of why, why it helps all these different humans. And of course, uh, do it rolling before really improves your coordination. It also improves your force production. So you actually get more out of your contractions um, if you if you roll before you work out. And then rolling after you work out, you know, if you overdid something, it helps to obviously move fluids. It helps to elongate tissues that might have might be heading towards hypertrophy. And then it helps to reset your stress switch. So it, it helps with that downregulation response. So there's lots of reasons for before and after. And the way I teach, I actually, I use it within my classes. So I create these little sort of triads of experiences. So we roll, we move, we do lots of check-in and rechecks. Then we roll again, uh, advance a move, roll the next thing, progress the move. And so we really build a kind of a layer cake so that by the end, you feel like you've been, uh, you've had the best soft tissue massage ever, but you also feel incredibly uh, coordinated, powerful, and strong in new ways. Like you find these muscles that have just been asleep on you for eons, but all of a sudden there's more of you and you're able to move into your home and move your home around in a better way. Right. The only home you're ever going to have. So yes, yes <laughs> you should take care of it. <laughs> Yes. It's all of the reward and none of the risk. And you get the the short term, like, oh, I'm standing taller. I feel better. That kink in my neck is gone. But it's also such a um, deposit in the long-term health bank, right? It is, I think, even though you have to do it, uh, it's a practice. You have to take care of your body in lots of different ways over time. It, a little bit, Every day goes a long way to how you feel longer. Yeah, Jill, how often would you say the average person should roll? Should they roll something every day, would you say? Oh, yeah, I think so. I mean, in the I mean, like the book, we say, ah, you know, five to ten minutes a day. And that's just like that's because people want a number. They, Mm -hmm. you know, it's like, oh, how much should I roll every day? You know, we have, like, for example, one of our bodybuilders who was just a who's actually been featured in a number of our products if you go to our website we have this really robust blog and this year we're doing these mega blogs where for the whole month we release like almost a, a 5000 word chapter on a topic so january was all about fascia and submyofascial fascia release and all the way to science there's lots of little videos in there makes it really digestible this month is about recovery muscle recovery specifically uh, we did a bunch of videos and my friend greg reed was did the videos with me and he's in the video treat while you train that we did with Kelly Starrett and uh, my friend, Sarah Kush. And he also, his story is in the role model, but Greg is a, he's like a transmorph, transmorph human. He uh, used to be a champion bodybuilder and then was in a series of car accidents and then just couldn't really do that anymore. And then he saw my husband rolling at the gym, like, I don't know, 12 years ago. And my husband ended up giving him his balls and he just like, he like was I like when you say somebody's popping Advil, you know, they're going through bottles, like Greg would destroy the ball. Like they would be like, he would just pancake the balls because he was very big and he would just grind it out. And, you know, he wasn't satisfied unless he got to the bone. Like this guy is very intense. But anyway, and Greg what he does is he will roll out for about two hours from head to toe. Wow. Now, 
and he has no pain anymore. And the no pain, the no pain was gone relatively quickly in, in the, the 12 years that I've known him, but then he started entering competitions again. And he now is a master's champion, IFBBP um, bodybuilder. So this is like, you know, the highest level of bodybuilding champions that you can get, but he's in the master's division. He's uh, 56, 56 or 57. And that was, I think two and a half years ago, he got that championship. But then when he came and shot with me um, three weeks ago for this muscle recovery article, he stopped doing the bodybuilding. He's only doing yoga and his body has again, just completely changed, but he's, but the therapy balls have been there with him when he decided to pursue an amateur bowling career in the midst of all of this also. Yeah. So like he's had all of these different shape shifts, but the therapy balls are like his, um, like his bedfellow. And, but the way he uses them is like full body massage, head to toe, two hour practice, every other day. But when he was training for competition, he had very specific protocols that he would do um, prior to certain lifts so that he would get um, prepare the tissue for a pump. And he describes that if you if you go to the blog, you can check that out what what Greg would do. What would Greg do? Uh, <laughs> we ask here because we're like, none of us are champion bodybuilders at my house. So we're just like, oh, we, you know, I mean, I love to lift, but like, I have no aspirations of, of winning, you know, maybe I'll win a so, you know, being able to be on a ball longer than anybody else, but that's about it. <laughs> yeah. That's awesome. Oh my gosh. It's such a cool holistic. And I totally get that you guys do so much more, but it's the, it's the entry point for so many yes. people. And we, we know we go through this too with alkaline. It's like that giving people what they think they want versus like giving it, giving what they need, you know, all that stuff you just described, like that doesn't fit into your elevator pitch, Jill. You're the ball lady. That's like, (laughs) (laughs) and we're like the fitness studio, but we're, you know, so much more. And I think it's such a, I mean, I love fitness. I mean, that's the whole reason why I, you know, got into the, the therapy ball stuff. It was about emotional soothing. You know, it just so happens that it's such a great compliment (laughs) to all these other things. To life. Anyone who wants to move, right. And move well and hopefully be without pain. And I mean, you could layer on a lot of request to that list. But, you know, I always tell everybody like we've had very few people that fibromyalgia is kind of a tricky one. And then, but most people, we haven't really had any clients who haven't, you know, whether it's a gorgeous ball or something, haven't enjoyed the experience. I want to learn a little more about Jill. Okay. Um, Well, I want to know what a day in the life of Jill is like. I know you travel and Um. you are Super mom, you're super so, mom. You're it's it's really boring because it's like a, it's about getting up, fixing the kids' breakfast. Usually they've already gotten me up, like Asher, like this morning, got me up at 1 a.m. He was in the <laughs> bed with me. So I would just say, because I'm still my son is three, my daughter's five, it's hard to say what's your what's an everyday like because it's somebody's so waking mommy up at 2 a.m. or 4 a.m. for the last five years. All so right. That's just so like, I get- a better question would be how does, <laughs> how does Jill find balance in her life? Oh yeah, that's not no. We don't we don't answer we don't entertain those questions. <laughs> we, I, and I, I honestly, people ask me that all the time. And what I say is that I just make peace with the fact that I have competing interests all the time. Yeah, not only from my family and my business, but also my own um, my own whims and my own impulses. I'm extremely passionate about what I do. I'm 
drawn towards knowledge and towards learning. But, you know, I have to wrestle with programming and I have to wrestle with uh, post-production or pre-production, which I'm in the middle of right now at all times. You know, we have two programs we just produced, a mega one with Katie Bowman called Walking Well and another mega one with Tom Myers called Rolling Along the Anatomy Trains. But we're in pre-production on four other video projects right now. We're um, going to be rolling out new products at the end of the year and the beginning of next year. Uh, and then I have a teaching team that I mentor and that I work with. And then there, yeah, and then there's my children, which they they are priority. They overthrow every good intention I have in my in my inbox or my to-do list. So I would say it is making peace on a regular basis with um, competing interests and competing emotions and trying to be in acceptance about that, which is very, it's very hard because in terms of productivity, like what you're hearing, you're like, oh my God, you're so productive, you know, inside. I don't feel as productive as I could be. <laughs> right, right. And you know, you know who's who's leading that narrative is Plus your books. Inner, is <laughs> your inner critic is chirping in your ear saying you could be doing more. Yeah, I think it's a it's an iPhone headset that's that's saying that right now. <laughs> that's a lot of the programming from childhood that's that's deep in there. And I and I I get it. Like, you know, my mother came from a place of fear and she did not want me to not have every opportunity in the world. And, you know, it's a legacy, I think, of, of you know, coming from, from people who were maligned or, you know, faced uh, institutionalized um, bigotry and, and things like that. Just you have to prove yourself so that you're accepted um, and you have to be excellent and contribute. How has it impacted your parenting and how you're raising your kids? the balls <laughs> but, but. you're you're I mean this you've had like this transformation right you had a a certain type of childhood and you've had to do a lot of work right mm-hmm. where you are and it's that stuff still creeps and seeps into the <laughs> cracks I'll say like we had our first meeting with Lila's kindergarten teacher and I can feel all of the spirits of the past on my shoulders. Like, you know, oh my God, is my child exceptional? Is she going to be the smartest in the class? Like all of these chips on my shoulder, really. And, you know, the teacher sits us down and she's like, you know, I was doing great. She's got all threes, and <laughs> which is not fours, right? <laughs> and so like the little girl inside me that had to get fours, that had to get A's was just like, this can't be what's happening. Oh my God. I've got a B kid. Like it was the weirdest. It's a kindergarten. Right. right. But I had, I could feel myself having these reactions and then they're like, and then she's like, Oh, but she got a four in PE. <laughs> <laughs> I had the opposite, opposite experience. My kid, um, my older one got a like a unsatisfactory in PE a couple years ago. I'm like, really? <laughs> I am in the PE business. Yeah. So <laughs> but the greatest part of that story that you just told Jill was that you have the awareness of where that, where that reaction or that response was coming from for you. And you were able to write the ship and recognize that she's in kindergarten and a three is great. You know? Yeah. I always say I'm raising my kids to be average. Like, I just want them to be kind and kind would be good. Yeah, it's yeah. so much pressure when you have to be at the top, right? Because there was some documentary a few years ago, and I can't remember um, the name of the documentary, but it, thank God I saw it because they, I guess they, they, they followed kids 
in New York City and they had like the Brooklyn kids, they had the private school kids, they had the, the kids like in the Dominican neighborhood and they were, you know, following all these, there were four different communities they were following. And ultimately what it was really clear that the kids in, in Brooklyn, in this really um, sort of multinational region in Brooklyn who were all pretty much B minus C students, they were just the happiest of all the kids. And uh, like watching that and see, you know, seeing the kids that were the forced to be overachievers and the kind of pressure they were dealing with and all the activities and this and that. So that was very helpful for me to see. And um, I don't think my, you know, my husband is a perfectionist like me, but he was not pressured academically like I was. And so I'm hoping like that he will be able to buffer some of my um, intensity around that. I mean, I think I'm a very good teacher. And so when I'm reading with Lila or, you know, doing like learning things, I'm very playful with that. I've learned that as a, as an instructor of adults, that it's really the best way is, is, hel- is helping people ask questions and, and leading them to ask questions so that they can answer them themselves. And that I have to just really keep myself in check on the exactedness that um, I know is expected of me. So it's going to be, I mean, it's going to be a big learning curve. But he said, he said, my husband said, okay, Jill, your book skills and I'm life skills. Like in terms of. Divide and conquer. It's good to have, you know, um, supportive qualities in your parenting. And I will tell you, after you know, I've raised three adult daughters now. Parenting yeah. is the hardest, hardest gig ever. And we constantly question ourselves. And there are those wounds from our past that influence our responses to things. And it's just that check, that ability to check and think, okay, I don't have to do it the way my parents did. And learning from generations beyond and just doing the best damn job you can do. And we have the balls to manage all of our stress. That's right. So <laughs> just get, like lean up against the wall on the gorgeous ball, put it on the side of my neck. Like it'll just okay. Everything's okay. All be okay. Right. By the way, I did gift all the teachers at my kids' elementary school balls for Christmas. And I gave them um, like a little mini tutorial on oh my God. them. And then I gave them extra sets for like the special specialty things like the, um, teacher, the, the nurse, teacher. like my kids, my kids, especially my older one, she's, she gets overwhelmed. So she goes to the nurse as her, yeah. like, not so much anymore, but when she was in kindergarten, she was there every day for sure. And yeah, to teach them like down regulation and to have the balls available with, um, you know, they have all sorts of like learning specialists and all sorts of cool things that our kids public school were so fortunate. I was like, I just want to pay it forward so then I put the tools in more people's and especially hands. for I think that's awesome because you're the population that you give balls to are caregivers and teachers and right? they yeah and they need, and they need to, to be taught too they, and they also need to practice self-care yes yeah right oh my gosh well Jill we've taken so much of your time know, already especially you. with the little tech issue but thank you so much you're um, welcome always good to connect with you and if people are wanting to know more about all things Jill and Tune Up Fitness. What's the best way to find you? Our website is the best place, you know, tuneupfitness.com. And I'd really direct people to these mega blogs for education and, uh, and just quick takeaways. They can also obviously 
connect with me on social. I already Instagrammed about you right before I got on. I am at Yoga Tune Up on Instagram and our company is Tune Up Fitness on Instagram. They're the ones that do the giveaways. So you should follow both of us. Uh, I will often be posting about, you know, my kids or very whimsical things, impulsive things. Yeah. All right. Awesome. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. Thank you, ladies. It was really fun. Thank you for joining another episode of Alkaline Unplugged. As a reminder, please leave us a review on Apple iTunes or wherever you're listening. Comments, feedback, and requests or suggestions for future guests can be emailed to info at alkalinestudios.com. We look forward to hearing from you.